And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, as usual, Darren Kaster, sitting in the studio as well. Mostly as usual, Stephen Oster and Kevin Farmer. How you doing? Hi, everyone. And uh, we have a wonderful middle interview today in the middle of the show. I was able to meet up yesterday with Alex and Tyler Mifflin, who are TVO's The Water Brothers. Uh, they've been on the program uh, a few times before. They were speaking to us uh, uh, yesterday, actually, funnily enough, um, to premiere the, uh, for in advance of the premiere of the third season, which launches uh, April the 7th. Um, so I talked to them a little bit about some of the things that are coming up in the next season. And funnily enough, I was able to ask them during the interview uh, about uh, any reference because, you know, we've just been talking very recently about uh, the NASA report regarding California's one year, year left of water. Uh, kind of as a long shot because I surprised them with the question. Turns out they interviewed one of the scientists from NASA as well. So we've got a great interview with Alex and Tyler Mifflin in the middle of the show. However, they are just so incredibly upbeat and happy. I thought it would be really important for the sake of balance that we start and end with something considerably less fun. Hmm. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Uh, first of all, the hashtag for the show today is what, Stefan? Uh, it's hashtag EcoPatriot. All right. So part of this was coming out of an online thing. We've uh, been uh, talked mostly off the show, but somewhat on the show a little bit, uh, repeatedly about just online interactions with people. And, and usually, you know, people will say, don't feed the trolls. Uh, generally, I don't, as a general rule. But what I just wanted to talk about briefly uh, for a couple of minutes, and, and we'll just sort of pass the mic around, as it were, um, was just the, the idea that sometimes you can't resist. And and if you, you know, sort of on, on your own personal uh, opinions uh, of when the right time to maybe chime in on a discussion is, when you think it's useful, is there ever an appropriate time, should you just completely ignore it? Uh, I had some experiences very recently that I'll go to, but maybe we can um, start with Stefan. Do you ever engage with... Uh, in counter trolling activities, or do you bother, you know, trying to to respond to nonsense on Twitter? Is there any point? Uh, not on Twitter. Uh, basically, I, the times I will engage with someone online is if I think there's any hope in convincing them otherwise. Uh, which usually means if I have someone who I'm sort of friends with on Facebook who's wrong about something, uh, I'll I'll get I'll be one of those people who gets into those annoyingly long back and forths mm. uh, that take like that I spend the entire week thinking about because I have like each day I have to have a new half essay to respond with. Uh, but on on most if, if I don't know the person and it's not in a setting, and it's not in like and, and there isn't a way to sort of fully articulate an argument or whatever. I I'll usually ignore it. Mm. Kevin, do you want to go as well? Do you uh, do you um do you ever bother, and under what circumstances, in theory, would you would you think it's appropriate, if at all, to take the time to sort of respond to online comments that are, you know, uh, attacking environmentalists in general, any sort of environment, maybe make climate change, any of that stuff? Is there ever a point to do that? Do you have do you have a metric by which you allot your time to do those sorts of things? Yeah, kind of three groups. Um, one, sometimes people just seem woefully confused, and they might be they might be making a comment like, I don't know. You know, you people, you're just, you know, you, 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 you hypocrites, you're all using computers. You know, if, you, if you're so against oil, why are you using computers? And I'll just point out, look, we're not burning them. We're, we're, we're talking about climate change and we're not burning our computers. And no one's, no one's, no one's arguing we shouldn't be using oil as a manufacturing input. Um, so, so sometimes I just think people are just woefully confused or the language is all wrong. And I, I'll even preface it by saying on this vanishingly slim chance <laughs> that, you know, you're open to an actual discussion on this, here's, here's the retort or the response to that. Uh, without a doubt, I occasionally 
cannot resist, and I have to say something sarcastic. Um, but usually when I do this, I'm sitting at my desk laughing my ass off. Um, uh, and and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't improve the quality of the debate, but sometimes it's just very enjoyable to, <laughs> to engage in some, like, willful nonsense with people. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, do, I, I do a little bit, but usually I'm very disappointed because uh, there, there really are very few people in social media uh, who are woefully confused <laughs> and open to sort of discussion. They're just – they've got their minds made up and they're shouting. I, I, I have an interesting uh – I have sort of an interesting rule about this, which is that generally I will I, – I like to assume that people are being honest until I until I either uh, – either I'm A, insulted or like directly and not because I'm actually like that offended, but just because – until I reduce them through my questioning to just directly insulting me and skipping me in conversation entirely, I'll, at that point I'll drop it. Um, but I generally I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt that if there's like okay well what about this like for instance there was somebody this morning uh, uh, Elizabeth May had nothing to do with the conversation but of course people just love to immediately grab her as the scapegoat and be like oh so what are you going to tell her you know the next time that you know she's flying between Vancouver Islands and Ottawa and be like <laughs> first yeah. of all like do you really yeah. think that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me but second of all it's like well no but there's you just you know instead of like oh you're 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 an idiot or whatever blah blah, blah you know. I'm just kind of like your point is, and and I sometimes I find it useful because I've I've even if the initial interaction, and this is something I've seen in a lot of places. There's a whole bunch of TV shows I won't get into or whatever, like call-in shows and stuff that have been going on for years that deal with some very difficult topics. And and a lot of the time, what people will find is that even if in the moment the response is very hostile, if you just all, all you're really doing is putting a crack in the wall of certainty, and then you walk away. And sometimes they might, you know, throw insults at you for the rest of that day. But, you know, two weeks later, they're like, huh. Right. And so that's the, I, I realize that probably 98 percent of the time I spend doing this, it's completely wasted. Uh, and I certainly don't think there's any point into getting into like actual personal, you know, personal attacks or, or arguing with somebody in, with exclamation points or anything like that. But I do. I, I feel like. I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they might actually just not never have thought of it a certain way before. And so I, I will generally ask them a couple of questions I, again until I get personally insulted or not. Do you do you guys think that's a waste of time or is that? I don't know. There's the thing about social media and the thing about uh, especially Twitter is that it's impossible to tell what percentage of people you're talking to are actually people. It's impossible to tell what percentage <laughs> of people you're talking to are there for any purpose beyond to just muddy the water. Um, it's impossible to really understand. It's, it's impossible to get beat past the fact that you're on Twitter is the thing. Uh, and so you can never be talking to them as if they're a real person. You can never be having any real conversation. And I'm, I am highly skeptical of anyone's ability to convince anyone of anything if they don't either A, want to be convinced or B, have at least some ability to, to actually hear what someone's saying hmm. uh, or to understand who you are saying it. Uh, and I don't think Twitter really gives you the opportunity, especially uh, if they think it's you have uh, if you have a if you have um, a stick in the game. Mm. Like if they like if, like there's no way Elizabeth May can convince anyone because they're like, oh well, you do, that's what like you want to get elected, so you're saying these things. Uh, if they can dismiss you in any way for on those issues, I think you're already lost. Uh, so I yeah you know, I think again there's. Theoretically, the best thing you'd probably do is direct them to a different resource where they could maybe actually get that kind of uh, connection with the with the writer. Um, I'm just skeptical of, 
of, of Twitter really driving any any real change uh, beyond you know beyond informing the people who actually you know want to get informed, which right. is a small percentage. So the uh, we're going to go to our, our first, uh, first music break now. We'll come back and listen to the wonderful and exceptional interview with the Water Brothers. They're uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then when we come back as well, we'll have uh, some more news items at the end of the uh, show. Uh, as well, I should take this opportunity to uh, remind people, if you are in the Toronto area, if you're listening to us on CIUT right now, that our spring membership drive is next week. That'll be April the 10th if you're live in Toronto. If you're not, you'll probably be uh, hearing a some sort of backlogged episode uh, next week. So do apologize. Don't worry. We haven't gone anywhere we'll be uh, back for you the week after so without further ado uh we're going to throw to our tech neil who's going to tell us what we're going to listen to yeah hey darren the first song today is by leaf volabeck and it's called off the main drag awesome we'll be right back gas station hasn't changed in decades cashier checks the time around put my things on the counter pull out my wallet Some pull down the shades My only brother Lent me his only car Who knew I would drive it so far Sometimes you move Out of some obligation It was gorgeous on the outside, inside it was just a machine. It was the fastest thing I'd ever seen. I met Victoria at Victoria Station. And we'd always talk about going for a beer. Said it's strange now that you're here. We went back to her place, 57th Street, cross it. Now she's as full as me, but she looks twice as good. I told her that because it's something I would. She shrugged a little Then she turned off the faucet And later on As we crawled into bed I was thinking on something my father said He said, son, you're better off Off of the main drag Where my well-worn body Wrenched like a red 
We are back here at CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Darren Keister, your host of The Green Majority. We're going to go now to our interview with the wonderful TVO's Water Brothers, Alex and Tyler Mifflin. Take it away. Hey, so we're the Water Brothers. We host a TV show on TVO, and you can also watch it online on our website, thewaterbrothers.ca. Our YouTube channel has lots of great video content as well. And uh, what we do in the show is we go all around the world on different adventures to look at the state of our blue planet and uh, make documentaries about water issues, whether it be the disappearance of coral reefs, uh, overfishing, uh, climate change, access to clean water and sanitation. Uh, the list goes on and on, but it's pretty much everything and anything to do with water and the environment. And what we want to do is take viewers on an adventure around the world for these issues that we're looking at. You know, we're, we like to have fun. We're young guys. You know, what's the point of living if you can't have a little fun? But we also look at serious environmental issues and show people what they can do in their everyday lives to help become part of the solution so we can tackle these big issues we're facing. There's a lot of reality TV out there. What's different about your show? Well, I think what sets uh, our show apart a bit is that it's uh, unlike a lot of other environmental uh, news stories or documentaries, uh, we're a hosted show. So it is like a travel adventure series in a way. Um, and there's lots of those out there, but ours uh, really focuses on the issue at hand. And it's sort of a mix between a traditional doc and a, a travel series. So it's, it's, it is unique in that sense. And uh, we also really try and do our best to make sure that the viewer goes away with a really strong knowledge of the subject. We don't. We we do our best to not leave any any stone, uh, you know, unturned or whatever it may be. You know, we want people to be really well educated, well versed in the subject, so that and know about the solutions that are available to them, so that they can feel going away from this. We don't want people to feel depressed and feel like this issue can't be tackled, whether it's something as huge as the billions of people that don't have access to sanitation, or another topic as daunting as say climate change or ocean acidification. Uh, so yeah, we, we want people to feel inspired and, and that's always our goal. Yeah, we're always trying to empower our viewers with the knowledge that they need to understand the issue and what they can do in their daily lives. And oftentimes it's small little simple changes that we can all easily make. Um, and so it's really easy for all of us because it's going to require all of us to, to work towards these solutions and become part of the solution to tackle these issues. Talk to me about why is fun such an important part of your programming? Aren't you afraid that if you have too much fun, people might not take the issue seriously? Scaring people is easy. Uh, scaring people, it's, it, it's, it's clearly not worked. I think there's been lots of, you know, documentaries and the, the, the news can do that nowadays just fine. I mean, we're, we're different. We want to set ourselves apart because we really do feel that there is a lot of reason to be positive and hopeful. And, you know, these are, this is, these challenges that we look into in the show are really what's going to shape the planet over the next, our, our lifetimes. And it's something, you know, we've gotten to a position with a lot of these problems, like, say, climate change or, you know, the disappearance of coral reefs or overfishing. It's like these are challenges that we're all going to have to take on in our lifetimes and solve if we're going to have a planet that's going to be able to sustain, say, 9 billion people in, in just a few decades. So, you know, water resources are only going to be get, become more scarce 
uh, food resources, energy, all this stuff depends on water. Everything that keeps our planet moving, the economy going, it all depends on water. And we just want to show people these connections and, and show how they're connected to them as well and how everything they do each day can make a difference uh, in, all, in all the issues we talk about. You're now promoting the third season of your show. You're about to start filming the fourth. Talk to me about the most fun experience you've had so far. That's, it's a tough one to sort of figure out what's the most fun. I mean, we've done amazing trips down various rivers around the world from the Ganges in India to going down the Mekong River in Southeast Asia. But I think probably the most fun we have is always scuba diving. I'd say we're, Alex and I are big scuba divers. We love getting in the water. Um, and so in our new third season, we have two episodes about an island off the coast of Costa Rica called Cocos. And we had an amazing trip down there. We went on an expedition with a group of scientists to tra track and tag sharks and sea turtles with GPS tracking devices and other tracking devices to really figure out where they're migrating to. Because in the eastern trop tropical Pacific, you have all these islands like Galapagos or Cocos or Marpello and they're protected, but all these big creatures, these incredible marine creatures, uh, tiger sharks, hammerheads, whale sharks, orcas, dolphins, schools of tuna, huge schools of yellowfin tuna, they're all migratory, so they're going between these islands, and unfortunately there's a huge amount of overfishing and illegal fishing going on around these islands. So it's great that you can protect a small space, but really we need to think bigger. We need to increase our marine protected areas. So what we were doing was tracking their migration routes, figuring out when they're going, where they're going, so that we can approach, uh, and the scientists and, and different NGOs and organizations can help approach governments and say, hey, we have the data, we need to create a big multinational marine corridor to protect these extremely vital creatures in the, in the ocean that are, uh, you know, it's not just fun to look at, they're, they're important for the whole health of the ocean. And it's a, it's a situation that we're dealing with right here at home. Uh, well, globally, only 3% of the ocean is protected right now, while over 15% of the land area is protected. So we're lagging far behind. So some of these concepts like migratory corridors, protecting migration routes, we understand those concepts on land. We need to translate that same you know method of conservation into the ocean. And here in Canada, we only protect about 1.3% of our ocean total marine area. And we're, you know, we're a nation with the world's longest coastline. We, we have three oceans. We border three different oceans. We are a maritime nation in many ways. Our ocean has defined the Canadian identity, I believe. And yet we're doing such, you know, we have such a long way to go to, to, to do our part to protect our ocean. Because, you know, you look at the U.S., they have over 30% of their ocean protected. Australia, over 30%. Uh, the United Kingdom just established the world's largest marine reserve. Where's Canada? That's what we want them to understand. So we hope that with trips like to places like Cocos and other episodes where we look at marine protected areas, we can inspire people here at home to say, you know, like, what, what can we do better? Because there is a lot we can be doing better. I mean, even China protects more of their ocean than we do, China. So we really got to step it up. California has been in the news a lot recently with a recent report by NASA getting a lot of traction in the news about how they may have not even a year's worth of water left. Uh, do you talk about this at all in your show? Well, what's happening in California right now is very alarming, and it's something that we've been talking about for a couple of years, actually. One of, in our first season, we did an episode called Water in All the Wrong Places, and we were talking about, and that was, I think, the first or second year into their drought. Now they're in the fourth year, and this is something we've talked about, and actually, the gentleman, uh, the, the NASA scientist uh, who wrote that article stating that California only has about one year left of water in the reserves, Jay Famlietti, is someone we interviewed in our episode, uh, and so it's something that we are definitely aware of and something we try to raise awareness about, because this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's starting here. It's starting in California. It's starting in places like India and the other the drought is becoming a big issue, but it's going to become even a bigger one. So it's something we're always trying to raise awareness about. 
Yeah, and just yesterday, uh, the governor of California put in like strong restrictions, saying it's no longer just uh, a recommendation to cut down on water use. These are actual. The first, it's the first time that a governor has enacted water regulations where the public can't say have a particular type of lawn that's going to guzzle water, or you know that they can only you know get water for their lawn a couple days a week. But what's interesting and, and what's been brought up a, a few times since all this news came out is that, you know, there's so much focus on the individual and their home to cut down on water use. And these things are very important, you know, that, that we each take an individual responsibility to deal with water scarcity when it affects us. But at the same time, we have to remember that most water use uh, does not happen in the home. Um, it actually happens on the farm. 80% of water use in California is, is, is in agriculture. Globally, it's about 70%. Uh, so we know that like agriculture uh, needs to step up to the plate and, and become much smarter with the water they use, the types of crops we grow, um, the amount of livestock we produce, uh, and even with industry. I mean, most of the other 30 to 20 percent of water we use is, is happens with power plants or in industry. And the, uh, at home, the home, home use is a very small percentage of overall water use. So it's great that, you know, we're seeing these uh, water restrictions taking place. But at the same time, you know, we it needs to be inclusive where the actual biggest water users are also having stricter regulations placed on them because it's unrealistic to expect homeowners to solve something as big as a water scarcity crisis when they're not even close to the biggest water users. And this is something we cover in one of our new third season episodes called When Rivers Run Dry. Uh, and for this, we went to Israel, the West Bank, Palestine, and Jordan to look at the demise of the once mighty Jordan River. It's only about 5% of its historic flow that it's running at, and it's really become a sewage canal, unfortunately. And this is, you know, this is the r- river that Jesus was baptized in, uh, an extremely spiritually significant river. Um, but it's one thing we looked in this episode is how Israel has become a global leader in water efficiency and water recycling, because they saw it decades ago that how are we going to have a thriving country, a thriving economy and healthy sort of society if we don't have water because they're in a very arid region uh, part of the world so they really have stepped up and they are they recycle about 86 to 90 percent of the of their water they recycle and reuse it for many different purposes uh, whether it's from growing algae for biofuels or growing plants and fish they're able to use it three or four times before that goes back into the environment and that's something that we're going to have to start seeing happen more uh, a lot more around the world as we see more drought uh, occurring yeah, and with California, we have to remember that we are connected to California's water crisis. I mean, we get a lot of our winter fruits and vegetables from California. So when we see something happening in California or another part of the world, you know, we might think we're not connected to them, but we are. I mean, this could lead to increased food prices, especially in the winter time. Uh, you know, when you see uh, the situation of climate change in Bangladesh, you think that's literally on the other side of the world. How does that impact me? Well, as, as a country like Canada, being one of the world's you know largest carbon emitters, you know we are responsible in a way for the situation that's going on in other parts of the world with climate change. And when all those people start to move in terms of climate migration, uh, you know that has spillover effects in the region, into India, over the border, environmental refugees, where you can actually destabilize an entire region, and that impacts us here back at home. Uh, so. We are connected, and, and that's what we want people to understand with, with our show, is that we, we want them to see how they are connected to all corners of the globe through water and, and through how our changing water landscape all around the world. The first two seasons of the Water Brothers has been action-packed, very well-received. Talk to me about what we can expect from season three. 
The first couple episodes of our, our new third season take us to Cocos Island, Costa Rica. And this is uh, one of the global hotspots for marine life, for big marine creatures, uh, especially in the eastern tropical Pacific. So we're there, we go there with a team of scientists who are tracking uh, the movements of sharks and sea turtles in and out of the marine reserve um, because these small pockets of, of these small islands are protected uh, with marine protected areas uh, like Galapagos, Cocos, these small, other small islands, but we need to start to connect them and that's what we were there doing. So it's just, an, it was an amazing place. Cocos is one of the premier diving destinations in the world. You go there, you're surrounded by two, three hundred hammerhead sharks at a time. They gather in these immense schools. You see whale sharks, tiger sharks, Galapagos sharks, you know, everything big in the Pacific, <laughs> you can see it at Coco. So the, the, that was just one of the craziest trips we've ever done. Uh, and then we actually followed it up with a trip uh, onto the mainland, Costa Rica, to work with sea turtles and, and show people how you know, sea turtle conservation and marine conservation can actually take place on land and you know, protecting the nesting sites of baby sea turtles and uh, making sure that they have a place to be safe from poaching or coastal development um, and, and make sure that we understand these connections of how we can be connected to the ocean even on land. We also have another great episode called Water in Space, and this took us to a bunch of different NASA facilities across the U.S. We got to interview uh, uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield and, um, you know, amazing educator and astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And really what we were trying to do with that episode is show people how water is connected to everything NASA does, whether it's looking for life on other planets, which is really a search for water, because as far as we know, water is life. So if you want to find life, you got to find the water. So their search for life uh, and water on different planets and moons uh, and then you know if we want to go travel to places say like Mars well we're gonna have to send astronauts on long journeys how do you keep people alive in space you know we need to drink water to survive well you can't keep shedding ships with water so we got to recycle the water we basically got to create a closed loop system uh, closed loop system on the space uh, shuttles or whatever however we're gonna get out there and recycle water so we uh, ended up actually going to this amazing facility and getting to test out this thing called the water recovery system which basically takes urine and turns it into clean drinking water. So Alex and I peed into the machine and about two hours later we got to drink each other's <laughs> urine in the, form, clean water. in the it's form clean water. of very clean water. Cleaner yeah. cleaner than you, we would get out of our taps or pretty much anywhere else you can get on the planet. Um, so that was a really fun episode. And then also really looking at the, the amazing work NASA does looking back on, on Earth. It's not just about looking out into space. It's about looking back on Earth and through satellites uh, sort of have us having a better understanding about how water is moving around the planet, how the water cycle is changing, how climate change is having an impact on the health of soil, uh, and so many different things that they do to help us um, understand our impact on the planet and what we can do to become better stewards of it. And some of our other episodes from this third season take us to uh, Israel, Palestine, and Jordan to look at the demise of the Jordan River, which is running dry and has essentially become a, a sewage canal. Uh, we did an episode about ocean acidification called Acid Ocean, about CO2 building up in the ocean, how this is going to affect marine life and change the chemistry of seawater, make it very difficult for anything that builds a shell to, to build their shell and stay healthy and alive. And for Canada, there's a lot of potential uh, for wave and tidal energy, particularly tidal energy in the Bay of Fundy, where we have the world's largest tides. And it's thought that there's enough uh, energy in the Bay of Fundy to power all of Nova Scotia with clean, renewable energy. So this is not a fanciful idea that's way off into the future. This is already happening right now. There are 
tidal and wave energy devices producing electricity right now in Scotland. And so we went there to show Canadians and everyone around the world that this is something that, that's happening right now. We can generate electricity from the ocean. It's in a massive amount of energy that's there, just free, washing up on our shores, completely untapped. And so we need to bring that here back home to Canada where we have the world's longest coastline and plenty of places that we could, uh, we could, we could make these uh, technologies a reality. Thank you. As always, it's been a pleasure to see you both. Uh, just before we go, um, your show has been a, a combination, a very interesting combination of sort of entertainment and education. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you go about sort of riding that line and, uh, and how you sort of mix this into your strategy and how has it been successful? So one of the challenging aspects of filming this show and, and really it's been also really rewarding is trying to reach as big an audience as possible. Um, I mean, because that's what's going to take to solve a lot of these challenges. It's great in Canada. We have a large group, a large part of our population really cares about environmental issues, but we need to reach more people because that's what it's going to take to solve these challenges is getting everyone aware of these issues. So that's something that we focus in and talk a lot about is when we approach an episode, how are we going to make this accessible to as wide a group and uh, wide an audience as possible so that they can understand the challenges and that's something that because oftentimes these issues can seem very complicated and overwhelming so we try to boil it down make it really easy for people to understand the issue and how it affects them and other people around the world and really I think that that's one of the re ways we've been successful and we're launching our third season we have a fort we're going to start working on a fourth season in a couple months unfortunately there's no shortage of water issues that need you know people talking about and raising awareness of so that's a big challenge that we've uh, had doing the show and something I think that's helped brought us success is making sure we reach that as wide an audience as possible and bring new people into the discussion because that's what it's going to take. We need everyone in Canada aware of these issues so that we can all do our part and help solve them. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, water is a great uh, theme to, to have to show people how they're connected to the world. Uh, and whether it's, you know, raising food prices because of water scarcity situations in places like California, or whether it's, you know, overfishing and the fact that 85% of global fisheries are now either classified as overexploited or have fully been depleted. I mean, that's going to hit us in our global food supply. So when you start telling people, like, this matters because you might not be able to eat the things you're used to eating, you might not be able to eat them at all, or the prices of them are going to go up. I mean, so I think you can always reach people when you tell them how it's going to impact them in their pocketbook. That's always a good a good way to reach people that don't seem to care about these issues. But I think it's uh, where we see a lot of hope is is in the youth. We do a lot of uh, speaking engagements at schools, uh, and we 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 see a lot of hope and and passion in in young people. And uh, because I think they realize that these are the challenges that they've inherited from their parents and grandparents, and a lot of them don't really seem inspired to tackle them. So if we're going to solve them, it's going. It, these are the issues that are going to dominate their lifetimes, and so um, it, it's in everyone's best interest uh, if we want to enjoy the type of lifestyle that we do in this country, that, that we're all part of the solution, that we all are in, as informed and engaged in these issues as possible, um, because that's what it's going to take, like Tyler said. We need everyone on board, and that's, that's where we see a lot of inspiration and a lot of hope, and that's why we put a lot of focus into working with schools and, and working with youth and, and, and making sure that the, the, our show is as accessible to them as possible, you know, being online, uh, being, you know, now in the U.S., in Canada, playing in well over 30 countries, you know, we're seeing a lot of positive uh, uh, um, uh, feedback from our fans, and 
People are always contacting us, like, how can we get a hold of your episodes? Teachers are our biggest fans. They're constantly asking for our DVDs and to show them in classrooms because, you know, we're, we know we're reaching a way bigger audience already than what, say, um, the numbers on our website say because we know that a lot of the times when people are watching, they're groups of 30 or 40 people. Uh, so we, that's what really inspires us and encourages us to keep going and, and make us want to just keep doing as good of a job as possible because we know that there are people out there 